It's the Mark Stein Show. Weekend of March 2021, exactly half a millennium ago, March 6th, 1521, the great Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan, in his quest to circumnavigate the globe, arrived at Guam uh, 500 years ago. If you know nothing about Guam, well, here's Congressman Hank Johnson Jr., Democrat of Georgia, quizzing Admiral Willard, commander of the Pacific Fleet, uh, to tell you all about This is an uh, island that at its widest level is, what, 12 miles from shore to shore, and at its smallest level, uh, or smallest uh, uh, location, it's uh, seven miles uh, uh, between one shore and the other. Is that correct? Uh, I don't have the exact uh, dimensions, but uh, to your point, sir, I think Guam is a small island. Very small island and about 24 miles, if I recall, long. So 20, 24 miles long, about 7 miles wide at the least widest uh, place on the island and about 20 about 12 miles wide uh, uh, on the widest part of the island. And um, I don't know how many square miles that that is. Do you happen to know? I don't have that uh, figure with me, sir. I can certainly supply it to you if you'd like. Yeah, my my fear is that uh, the whole island will uh, become so overly populated that it will tip over and, uh, and capsize. Uh, we don't anticipate that. Very deadpan, that Admiral Willard, in the face of Hank Johnson Jr.'s island fling five centuries back. When Magellan's ship landed at Guam, the native Chamorro people were excited. They boarded the vessel and then they made off with various knives, rigging, and one of Magellan's utility boats. When he found out what had happened, he ordered a raid on the Chamorro village to recover the goods and to burn the islanders' dwellings. And then, having decided Guam was not for him, he set sail for the Philippines, not knowing he was in the last weeks of his life. But Pache Congressman Johnson... Guam did not capsize, then or now. It's hard for us to understand the thrill to the imagination of Magellan's voyage uh, back in Europe. I mean, what's the big deal about setting off to circumnavigate the globe when for a few hundred bucks you can get on a jet and be in Sydney within hours? Oh, wait, no. Well, anyway, for 2000 bucks, you can drive from Buffalo for lunch in Niagara-on-the-Lake 
and be quarantined for three days in one of Justin Trudeau's COVID rape camps, where the inhabitants are just as hostile as the ones Magellan ran across on those remote Pacific islands. Anyway, as I was saying, it's hard for us to recreate in a world where cartographers have mapped every inch of the earth the magical thrill of discovery that uh, Magellan's generation felt. But Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, is giving it her best shot at recapturing that magic. In order to open these doors, we do not say open sesame. We say open Biden. That's our magic word. Open Biden. I love it. Hmm. Open sesame. Open Sesame comes from Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. It's the magic words that make the mouth to the cave open. And then you see that the cave is full of treasure. Uh, Supposedly because a sesame seed pod splits open uh, when it reaches maturity and reveals uh, all the sesame seeds. Uh, Biden has certainly reached maturity, but it's all but impossible to make his mouth open at least coherently, for any period of time. So I have no idea what the magic phrase open Biden is meant to open up. If it's a cave full of treasure, there'll be nothing in there except a folded piece of paper with the words I owe you $30 trillion on it. But maybe it's meant to open up the southern border to the next 40 million undocumented Americans bearing magical new strains of COVID. The Reichstag fire sale goes on. Congressman Eric Shagdwell, the California Democrat, penetrated by Chinese intelligence and yet still on the House of Representatives Intelligence Committee. Eric Shagdwell has sued Donald J. Trump, Don Jr., Congressman Mo Brooks and Rudy Giuliani for violating the Ku Klux Klan Act and being, quote, responsible for the injury and destruction of January the 6th and conspiring thereby to prevent Joe Biden from taking office, insofar as Joe Biden is capable of taking an office. Open Biden! Anyway, whether a man with a foreign spy in his office has standing to sue anyone for obstructing the government of the United States is unclear. Ever since the news that Eric Shagdwell was penetrated by Fang Fang broke, uh, and I alluded on Rush to this beloved pop hit, I've had requests to upgrade it to official Mark Stein Show weekly featurette intro music status. I had a very brief conversation with dear old Sonny Bono at a dinner at Paramount Pictures not long before he died. And I told him how much I liked this song that he wrote. So I feel a little bit bad about this, but needs must. It's Eric Swalwell's Chinese Penetration of the Day. She was hot and I'm a dork. She ate with chopsticks, not a fork. She bundled me three million bucks and told me I should wear a tux. Fang, fang, I was so down. Fang, fang, unzipped her gown. Fang, fang, her breasts were round. Fang, fang, 
my trousers hit the ground. It's so easy to be penetrated by the Chinese, isn't it? Erin O'Toole, the new leader of Canada's alleged Conservative Party, has only been in office 20 minutes. But he's already hired a former vice president of Huawei to run Tory research and issues strategy. Jake Enright used to work for El Stinko Floppo, crapped out dead husk of a Tory leader, Andrew Scheer. And after Mr. Shear went knockers up, Mr. Enright became Huawei's vice president of corporate affairs, the fellow leading their crisis communications, uh, such as changing the narrative on the media framing of the kidnapping of two Canadians by China two years ago. They're still being held for ransom by Chairman Xi. First, no son of the true North strong and free should be shilling for Huawei. Second, it seems like only yesterday that Mr. O'Toole was the tough-on-China guy, contrasting his own butch stance with that of Justin Trudeau, the pitiful piglet, to Chairman Xi's Winnie the Pooh. So O'Toole was showboating ineffectually about how Canada was the only member of the Five Eyes, that's the intelligence-sharing arrangement, between Washington and Her Majesty's principal dominions, the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. And Mr O'Toole was huffing and a-puffing that Canada was the only member of the Five Eyes not to restrict or ban Huawei from its 5G network. And he put up a petition at the Conservative Party website for Canadians to voice their displeasure with Justin cozying up to Huawei. And what do you know? No sooner does the Huawei Veep join Erin O'Toole's inner circle than Mr. O'Toole's Huawei petition disappears from the Tory website. Coincidence? Well, as you know, this feature was supposed to be a regular update on Chinese penetration of Western politicians, as in the Canadian Tory party and the Biden family and the entire California Democrat party and of Western institutions such as Oxford and Cambridge and the like. But the Chaikom's penetration turned alarmingly literal with Beijing's decision to do the COVID anal swab on the bottoms of American diplomats in China, which they claim was only by accident. And then uh, another accident on Japanese nationals. It's so easy to find oneself accidentally probing an ambassador's bottom, don't you find? So we decided to modify our strictly delineated format and break out the literal Chinese penetration into a separate slot. It's the Mark Stein Show, Anal Swap Watch. Anal swab, anal swab, every morning you're up me. That's enough of that. First, it was concerns from the U.S. State Department 
then from Kenya, then from Japan. So Chairman Xi's just cut to the chase and announced he will be anal swabbing the world. All non-Chinese passport holders flying into Beijing will now be liable to anal swabbing by the Chaikons. I'm thinking of complimenting our 100 Years Ago show with a one-year-ago show. One year ago, March the 5th, 2020, another COVID death in Washington State in the Pacific Northwest brought the total U.S. death toll from CHICOM 19 to 12. 12 in total. There are currently in America around 2,000 COVID deaths per day, if you believe the official statistics. Ah, but now we've got all these vaccines and super accurate anal swabs. So normal life, the life we knew in late February 2020, should be coming back any day now. Isn't that right? Whoa, whoa, not so fast. Chris Murray a University of Washington disease expert whose COVID projections are, quote, closely followed worldwide, says he's changing his assumptions about the course of the pandemic. He notes that recent trials in South Africa suggest that a fast-moving corona variant may reduce the effect of the vaccine. Oh, you don't say... And it may also nullify the natural immunity of those previously infected. Oh my, I never saw that coming. So don't go to South Africa because your vaccination won't work. Oh, and uh, don't go to Idaho because the uh, South African strain will be breaking out there any day now. Oh, and uh, don't go to your local diner because the Idaho variant of the South African strain will undoubtedly prove the most super vaccine resistant yet. Year two of the permanent abnormal, a new study from Stanford University across multiple countries, finds lockdown does bugger all to reduce COVID spread. Bugger all, that's the uh, scientific expression, or as they put it in layman's language, quote, we find no clear significant beneficial effect of MRNPIs, that's lockdown, We find no clear significant beneficial effect of lockdown on case growth in any country. Researchers compared data from eight nations that used lockdowns, the US, the UK, France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain and Iran, uh, and compared that data with two countries that used voluntary measures, Sweden and South Korea. And the study failed to find a single case where lockdowns flattened the curve. We don't really need uh, scientific studies of this now because uh, you can see it when you just pull up anything uh, from the day's headlines. Germany has just intensified lockdown even though, for example, its most recent lockdown measures made no difference. Uh, In late January, Bavaria became the only state to introduce a mask mandate 
And six weeks later, its Covid curve is exactly the same as the rest of Germany without a mask mandate. Uh, the Bavaria curve lays over the rest of Germany curve perfectly. To reprise the line I cited on Rush a while back, stopping humans being human doesn't prevent the virus being a virus. The virus does what it does regardless. Oh, well, you can always curl up with a good book. I think there's a couple by uh, Maya Angelou that are still permitted. Oh, and Meghan Markle's forthcoming children's book about a beautiful maiden who kisses a prince and he turns into a gelding. Anyway, you can't beat a good book, so... It's the Mark Stein Show Book Club. Yes, it's our Chart Ashes of the Month selection. As Tucker and I were talking about the other day, Dr. Seuss is in deep trouble for being a racy, racy racist because of some of his early books' stereotypical depictions of sinister Asiatics, Chinese coolies, Africans with bones through their noses, and similar stuff. The Seuss estate has caved in order to protect what remains of its brand, and announced that those books will no longer be printed. The effect of that decision was that surviving copies started doing gangbusters business on eBay. So eBay has now banned those Dr. Seuss books because they violate, quote, our strict policy against hate and discrimination to ensure our platform remains a safe, trusted and inclusive environment. Oh, my. So Dr. Seuss is out because he's a hatey hater, but books that do not violate the safe and inclusive environment at eBay include not only The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, but also Mein Kampf by best-selling author Adolf Hitler. At eBay, Herr Hitler is inclusive, but Dr. Seuss is a hater. I do not like green eggs and hamf. I'd far prefer to read Mein Kampf. It's not the least bit problematic. It has no Doc Seuss Asiatic. Free speech is for the speech you can't stand and I can't stand Dr. Seuss, which only makes it easier to defend him because it's strictly principle rather than personal taste. And by the Seuss standard, hardly any book I do like is going to survive. They'll just be the transient crap of the last 12 weeks. Under cover of Chairman Xi's anal swabbed lockdown, the grand store-wide clearance of Western civilization continues. Mark Stein is breathing new life into death. The Mark Stein Club is proud to present a new weekly audio special, a serialization of Mark Stein's passing parade. Tune in every Saturday as Mark shares obituaries and appreciations for folks from Ronald Reagan and the Queen Mum to Ray Charles and the guy who invented Cool Whip, exclusively for members of the Mark Stein Club. Find out more by going to www. .steinonline.com Mark Stein's Poem of the Week As I said at the top of the show, half a millennium ago, March 6th, 1521, the great Portuguese explorer Ferdinand Magellan landed at Guam. He did not know it when he sailed on, but he was in the last few weeks of his life. At the Philippines, he was doing rather well spreading Christianity to the natives, except on the Isle of Mactan, 
where the locals were somewhat resistant. On April 27, 1521, Magellan decided to impose his will by force. It did not go well for him. He was hit by a poison arrow in the leg, the only part of him not covered in armour. They then fell upon him, hacking him with cutlasses and bamboo spears. And it was left to his subordinates to sail on and complete the first circumnavigation of the globe. That feat loomed large in the European imagination for many decades until late into the following century, the Pacific Ocean was known as the Sea of Magellan and so designated on maps. I'm always surprised, though, by the scarcity of poems about Magellan. This one is by John Donne. No, no, not No Man is an Island. That's not about Guam. Uh, this is late John Donne, possibly very shortly before his death. Uh, but if not, at a sufficient age and in such condition as to be contemplating it. And it doesn't really mention Magellan so much as the Magellan Straits at the tip of South America, uh, which along with the Straits of Gibraltar and the Anyan Strait, that's the uh, Bering Strait between Russia's Chukchi Peninsula in Asia and uh, Cape Prince of Wales just across the water in the Americas. Dunn's central image is of his ailing body as a map and his doctors as cosmographers. His physicians know that he is heading per freightum fabris through the Strait of Fever in order to die. On a flat map, life is a journey from sunrise in the east to sunset in the west. But on a globe, on a circumnavigation of the earth, such as Magellan's, one travels west until west meets east, as death in the poet's phrase, touches the resurrection and the certainty of new life. First published in 1635, four years after his death, by John Donne, a hymn to God, my God, in my sickness. Since I am coming to that holy room, where with thy choir of saints forevermore, I shall be made thy music, as I come, I tune the instrument here at the door, and what I must do then, think here before. Whilst my physicians by their love are grown cosmographers, and I their map, who lie flat on this bed, that by them may be shown that this is my southwest discovery, per freightum fabris, by these straits to die. I joy that in these straits I see my west, for though their currents yield return to none, what shall my west hurt me, as west and east in all flat maps, and I am one, a one, so death doth touch the resurrection. Is the Pacific Sea my home, or are the eastern riches? Is Jerusalem... Anion and Magellan and Gibraltar, all straits and none but straits, are ways to them, whether where Japhet dwelt or Cham or Shem. We think that paradise and Calvary, Christ's cross and Adam's tree, stood in one place. Look, Lord, and find both Adams met in me. 
As the first Adam's sweat surrounds my face, may the last Adam's blood my soul embrace. So in his purple wrapped receive me, Lord. By these his thorns give me his other crown. And as to other souls I preach thy word, be this my text, my sermon to my own. Therefore that he may raise, the Lord throws down. A poem from me to you by John Donne, a hymn to God, my God, in my sickness, on the quincentennial of Ferdinand Magellan's landing at Guam, and the poet's image of the body as a map in which eventually west meets east in death and new life, uh, that applies to Magellan too, who never knew that as he was venturing westward, he was sailing toward his own rendezvous on Mactan Island. Some way beyond the Gilbert Islands, the lovely Gilbert Islands, where they straddle the equator and the dateline, and so winter meets summer and tomorrow meets yesterday, and Magellan sails out of the west and into the east, and death doth touch the resurrection. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Christopher Gelber writes from beautiful North Yorkshire, beautiful North Yorkshire in the United Kingdom, soi-disant, where I hear the hard men of Ulster are so bored by lockdown, they're thinking of restarting the terrorism just to have something to do all day long. Seriously. Seriously. Anyway, uh, Christopher writes from beautiful North Yorkshire, surely, though, the key and the part which fills us with dread isn't the they, the hardcore activists. Uh, We know the hardcore activists have radical agendas or are nuts and or pathological in their narcissism. No, the really bad part is what this last terrible year has taught us beyond any doubt, that most people are psychologically almost infinitely malleable within shockingly narrow time frames. It isn't just a vague idea of liberty which beats a feeble drum these days. Individual autonomy itself is under threat. We recognise the terrible collectivism which underlies all this groupthink, but until 2020, who knew it would be this easily and willingly ingested? Uh, That is a very good point, uh, Christopher, Uh, particularly the part about the shockingly narrow time frame. As you know, we're just about to enter year two of the permanent abnormal, but you already get the sense if you just uh, go on Twitter or Facebook or even if you talk to some of your neighbours that people are beginning to forget what what it was like before late February, early March of 2020. We touched on some of this a few days ago. It's not, as Christopher says, uh, the militant trans fanatic or the so-called public health bureaucrat. It's the massive widespread compliance 
but by people who uh, really don't believe any of this stuff, but somehow feel obliged to go along with it. On Tuesday, we discussed the Peel Regional Government in Ontario, which had ordered perfectly healthy grade school kids to be quarantined in isolation for two weeks. In other words, you basically lock your kid up in a room for two weeks and slide plates of food uh, under the door. And I quoted tweets from apparently sane mums trying to explain to terrified seven-year-olds via the baby monitor, or if they're a little older by Zoom, why it was necessary to torture them like this. And of course, it, it wasn't necessary, not in the least. And the minute Andrew Lawton and I and a, a few others, not as many as there ought to have been, made a bit of a noise about this, the totalitarian wankers of Peel region reversed their policy. But as you say, it's not the totalitarian wankers, but all these women who undoubtedly think of themselves as good mothers agreeing to abuse and torture their kids because the government told them to. If Doc Fauci or Professor Pantsdown at Imperial College ordered you to saw your kid's leg off at the first sign of COVID, what percentage of mums would comply? I talked on Tuesday about how quickly people can lose the habits of liberty. We're seeing a lot of that as year two begins. Uh, the abject prostration before experts, which would be bad enough, even if as in Peel region, the experts weren't totally inexpert. Uh, but Christopher makes a further point uh, when he says it isn't just a vague idea of liberty, which beats a feeble drum these days. Individual autonomy itself is under threat. I think that's because most people find it least stressful uh, to be like most other people. Uh, and so generally the way you become like most people is to go out and stroll around the real world uh, and see what they're doing and saying and thinking and uh, just absorb the general vibe. But right now there is no real world. Insofar as we have contact with any kind of wider world, it's online. And the online world is not real, but a distortion. It's a world where management consultants like Bain Capital pretend to believe that woman is spelt W-O-M-X-N and where public health agencies tell you that nursing your baby is now chest feeding um, because, uh, because breastfeeding somehow implies that nursing your baby uh, is something to do with being a woman and as we all know the world is full of men happily nursing their babies now. And as this is the only sense of a real world we now get, um, it's easier, I think, to be pressured into going along with it. In other words, what, what happened was that normality got suspended a year ago. And actually, what passes for, for normality is now determined by a very unrepresentative sliver of society. It's only 12 months since the suspension of normality. Uh, but what's weird is the sense you get that large numbers of people are already beginning to forget what the old normal was like. Not long after the fall of the Iron Curtain, I was in Hungary and I had lunch with Robert Rattany, an elderly operetta star who uh, was singing a number on a, a show we were filming over there. 
And I said to Robert, but look, you and millions of other Hungarians were old enough to remember what it was like before the communists. How could you just collectively agree to forget all that? And he said to me, you do remember, but it's like a childhood memory. As much as you might want to be, you'll never be that 12-year-old boy again. Now, that's a, a rationalization. Uh, but right now, societies with far longer traditions of liberty than Hungary are making their own such rationalizations at what Christopher uh, correctly identified as, as breakneck speed. The last year has been a pilot program, and from the point of view of those who introduced it, a very useful and successful one. And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. That was such a beautiful poem from John Donne from four centuries ago that we heard just a few minutes back. I wonder what song we can find to match it. Well, once upon a time, a baby boy was born into an Italian-American family in Painesville, Ohio. That's a small town little ways northeast of Cleveland, and he went to school and he got interested in theatre and music, and none of it really went anywhere. So at the age of 30, he emigrated to Australia, and he wound up having the biggest ever Australian-produced hit single. I ought to clarify uh, that wording, because obviously the Seekers and Rolf Harris had some pretty big records, but they were recorded and produced in London. Here, a bloke just made a record in Australia, and four decades ago, that Australian record circumnavigated the globe like Magellan on acid and hit number one all over the map at the dawn of the 80s. And I know you're wondering now, what is it? Men at work? In excess? Uh, not exactly. With a lyric compiled from his Italian grandparents' somewhat idiosyncratic English... Here's Joe Dolce. Hello, I'm a Giuseppe. I got something special for you. Ready? Uno, due, tre, quattro. When I was a boy, just about the eighth grade, Mama used to say, don't stay out late with the bad boys. Always shoot the pool, Giuseppe, going to flunk a school. Boy, it make me sick, all the thing I gotta do. Kicks, I always got to follow rules Boy, it making me sick Just to make the lousy bucks Got to feel like a fool And the mama used to say all the time What's the matter you? Hey, gotta no respect What do you think you do? Why you look so sad? It's a not so bad It's a nicer place Ah, shut up your face That's my mama, I can remember Big accordion solo Well, a lot of people thought so. Number one in the United Kingdom exactly 40 years ago, March 1981. Also number one in Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Ireland, Belgium, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Quebec, Puerto Rico, and the number one record of the year in South Africa. Pretty much a blockbuster everywhere, except uh, Italy, where for some reason they didn't care for it. What's the matter you, hey? Ah, shut up your face. When you got a hit that size, nothing's the matter. 
And even if the moment never comes again, even if other songs such as Crop Circles in My Marijuana never quite strike the global nerve that Shut Up Your Face did, the moment had quite an echo. Most novelty numbers don't get covered uh, the way this one does. Here's the uh, Italian-American crooner Lou Monte, famed for his yuletide perennial Dominic the Donkey, giving Shut Up Your Face the lounge imprimatur. That's my mom. She played the solo on the accordion. That's a beautiful. Soon to come a day, gonna be a big star. Then I make the TV shows and the movies, I get myself a new car. Still I be myself, I don't wanna change a thing. Still I dance and sing, and I think about our mom, as she used to say, What's the matter, you? Hey, got no respect. What do you think you do? Why you look so sad? It's a not so bad. It's a nicer place. I shut up your face. And here's Andrew Sachs, Manuel, from Faulty Towers, no less, giving a faultiless interpretation. Here is a song for you. I sing it myself. Oh, when I was a boy, just about fifth grade, Mama used to say, don't stay up late with the bad boys, always shooting pool. Son, you're going to flunk at school. But I don't believe her. Oh boy, it make me sick, all the things I have to do. I no get no kicks, always have to follow rules. A oh boy, it make me sick, just to make a lousy buck. Got a feeling like a fool. And then my mama, she always said to me, What's the matter, you? Eh? Got no respect. What do you think you do? Eh? Why you look so sad? It's not so bad. It's a nicer place, I shut up your face. Yes, my mama. And now I play guitar for you. Oh, it's very, very good. I learned it from a book. A man born in Germany playing a Spanish waiter playing an Italian singer. Uh, for all those continental credentials, I regret Andrew Sachs didn't quite get the full trisyllabic juice out of shut up on what he calls shut up your face. Hey! You fancy a bit of the hippity hop? Here's KRS One. Yeah, what's up? What's the matter, you? You? Why you looking so sad? So sad. KRS is back. He's back. But you don't look so glad. I shut up, you bad. Look at this place. Why was I chosen to pick up the reins and carry the? That is actually a rather good title for a rap song. Ah, shut up, your face, you mother bleeper. Of all the many non-English versions of Shut Up Your Face, I'd have to account this one my favourite, from the Breeze Band in the Papua New Guinea pidgin language of Tok Pissing. Tommy Lick Lick Boy, Mama Sawa Toki Me, Knockin' Palti Mas, Pantai Mokada Rascal Boys, Holy Sawa Spak, Holy Sawa Luz, Buy Me Finish Long School, The Mama Below Me Sawa Tok, Awesome man, I'm you. Hey, no got same long you. You walking man, him. Why you worry too much? In a big pull of rock. And me good pull of place. I pass him pez belong you. Pass him pez belong you. Ah, what's the matter you, hey? Oh, one more, one more. Shut up your face. As declaimed by the Academy Award winning movie star, Samuel L. Jackson. What's the matter you? 
respect? <laughs> Why you think you do? Why you looking so sad? <laughs> it's not so bad. It's a nicer place. <laughs> now shut up, or you fail. Oh, I know what you're talking about. What a catalogue of covers Joe Dolce has, from Manuel in Faulty Towers to Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. in all those tedious Avengers blockbusters. Uh, these days, Joe Dolce writes rather good essays on music and television for Quadrant, the conservative magazine in Australia, edited at various times by my old friends John O'Sullivan and Keith Winshuttle. And I should say that as the composer of Shut Up Your Face, Joe Dolce was one of the first to see the danger to free expression posed by the concentration of publishing power in the hands of a cartel of woke billionaires. He wrote a fine essay on the theme and was a wee bit miffed when the editor called it Shut Up Your Facebook. But that is, in fact, an absolutely brilliant title for what's going on right now. What's the matter you, Zuckerberg? Mama, she said it all of the time. What's the matter you? Hey, got no respect. What do you think you do? Why you look so sad? It's not so bad. It's a nicer place. I shut up your face. That's my mom. Hello, everybody. That's out there on the radio on the TV land. Did you know I had to pick a hit the song in Italy with this? Shut up your face. I sing this song, all of my fans applaud, they clap their hands. That's making me feel so good. You ought to learn that this song, it's real simple. See, I sing, what's the matter you? You sing, hey. And then I sing it the rest. And then at the end, we can all sing, ah, shut up your face. Okay, let's try it, really. One and only Joe Dolce, and that will do it for today's show. Please join me as the weekend proceeds for movies, music, and the second episode of our brand new audio divertissement, Mark Stein's Passing Parade. It's all here at Stein Online, so what's the matter you, hey? Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show.
production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.